A brief update. It's May the 12th, 2024. I've released just two episodes of this year. My father-in-law passed away in January. He bravely fought a multitude of health issues for well over 15 years. Rest in peace, John. My wife of more than 20 years, Lisa, is remarkably strong, much more so than I. Her outlook on life is always positive and has motivated me to resume my passion project. Research for new episodes is now well underway. Stay tuned and sincere thanks for subscribing to my podcast. Atlanta play without three of its guards and were forced to activate one of its TV commentators. <laughs> Five foot eight, Charlie Chris, who is a career 8.5 points and 3.2 assists. In 29 minutes, Chris had 11 assists and six rebounds. It was the first of four straight games that Charlie played with Atlanta. Was Chris Cross when he resumed his commentary role? We can't be sure. 11 assists and six rebounds from a TV commentator. <laughs> That'll make you jump. <laughs> I always like to say that Michael got to play with me for a year at North Carolina. <laughs> I think it really helped him. Spectacular player from the beginning. You can see right away Jordan was going to be a big-time scorer. And showed what an impact he was going to have on the league. This is NB85, celebrating the 30-year anniversary of Michael Jordan's rookie season in the NBA. And now, your hosts, Adam Ryan and Aaron Steen. Welcome back to episode 17 of NB85. Aaron, how are you today, mate? Having a ball dealing with modern technology, but uh, apart from that, everything's great, mate. We've got our technical issues trumped at the moment, and let's see how we go through the rest of this recording, mate. Thanks again for being here. If you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. Welcome back if you're one of our regular listeners. Now, before we get into the breakdown of the next 15-day block of the NBA season, Aaron, we're going to do a, a recap of one of the Bulls' games. Chicago versus New York, January 5th, 1985 at Madison Square Garden in front of 17,865 fans. The coaches for the game, Chicago were led by Kevin Lockery and New York were led by Hubie Brown. It was a TV coverage from the Bulls Network and our commentators this time around are Milo Hamilton and John Mengelt. I'm not sure if I've even pronounced John's name correctly there. Apologies, John, if you're listening. Uh, they were the ones on the call <laughs> and usually it's Bill Hazen or Johnny Red Kerr, but this time we had Milo and John. So there we go. A random stat, mate, for this game. New York headed into the contest on the back of six straight losses. They dropped eight of their last nine. Bernard King was averaging a lazy 40 points a contest in his previous five games, dating back to Christmas Day when he dropped 60 on the unsuspecting New Jersey Nets. Now, our game DVD, the alleged game DVD that we're watching, is joined in progress in the second quarter, and New York were ahead 37-28. to At this stage, mate, I'll hand it over to you for a bit of second quarter dissection. The coverage that we got was actually really well timed. MJ checked back into the game about 20 seconds into the feed. After two David Greenwood free throws, the next three Bulls stats in the game were all turnovers. The third was after MJ missed an absolute dolly under the hoop. It was a real eyesore of a start to the footage (laughs) uh, for the Chicago Bulls. Three turnovers and missed shots around the hoop. Very, very ugly. Making the game even uglier was, and I quote my notes, two times Pat Cummings rebounds and dribbling the length of the floor. <laughs> it's funny you say this because I'm going to cut you off there for a second because later on in my description, I sing Pat Cummings praises. Anyhow, well, <laughs> that'll be interesting. We'll get there shortly. 
on these possessions, the ball never touched the hands of another Nick <laughs> as Cummings went the length of the floor and then gunned up a shot. <laughs> and I also noticed during this game that <laughs> this is going to completely contradict your praises of the man later on, but was one of the most disgraceful black holes that I've ever seen and <laughs> would often fire up shots against double teams. The commentators mentioned that the balls looked a step slow, which they did as the Knicks were betting them to loose balls repeatedly. The next ball score was a nice alley-oop layup from Wes Matthews to MJ, who had snuck behind the Knicks' D for the finish at the hoop. The Bulls put the taller Steve Johnson and Dave Greenwood on Bernard King to challenge his shots during this game. It didn't work all that well as Bernard finished with 34. His ability to make shots over the taller defender was actually brilliant. Yeah, and in a previous episode, perhaps just the one just gone, episode 16, you talked about an article where Bernard was practicing against double-team and triple-team defenses. That would have really obviously helped his game going forward as well. Agreed. John Mangelt called MJ Flash Jordan at one point during the second term. <laughs> Hopefully a play on words with Flash Gordon, uh, although added to the list of nicknames that we're all glad it didn't stick. And then to end the second quarter, MJ was out high, dribbling out the clock, and then blew past Trent Tucker and finished with a beautiful gliding double-clutch one-hand layup. On the very next play, Trent Tucker then stuck in a three-pointer at the halftime buzzer to put the Knicks up by 11. That wouldn't be the last time that Trent Tucker and Buzzer are mentioned either in this description, mate, and we'll get to an interesting play that ended the third quarter shortly. Now, heading into the third quarter, the Knicks were up 65-54. to 54. Dave Corzine corralled a missed Orlando Woolridge shot and then hit a pretty hook shot in the lane, which brought the Bulls to within nine points. Next time down the floor, he scored again and had the Bulls' first six points of that second half. Podcast favourite Dave Corzine was using his height really well against the shorter front line of the Knicks, including the 6'9", Pat Cummings, and he did a great job of pounding the Knicks' front line on the offensive boards. Now, not long after, living up to his nickname, the pedestrian, <laughs> Daryl was, <laughs> was called for walking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a good spread of scoring from the Bulls in this game. At one stage in the third quarter, Warridge had 18 points. Jordan and Corzine were just behind on 16 apiece. Then Jordan almost connected on a, an insane hanging layup where he drove in from the top of the key. He missed and the crowd still went baresque. Orlando then hit another mid-range jumper and it was perfect from the floor at this stage. He was 9 of 9 according to the commentators and they in turn were saying according to the statisticians. So they're not trying to take responsibility in case they were wrong. Now, Warridge's first miss of the game is hammered home on a putback dunk from Jordan, which was very nice to see. Shortly thereafter, MJ also brought up his 19th and 20th points in gorgeous style. He was posting up on the baseline, and then he faked to the middle, as he often did as his career progressed, and then went baseline and hit on a very sweet left-hand reverse layup under the basket. He had a myriad of moves, though, in the post, didn't he? He could either fake to the middle and go baseline or... Or vice versa. It would have been a, a real handful to guard down there. Incredible moves, and this is just him in his rookie season. This is where I talk about Pat Cummings for a moment. In this particular third quarter, at least, I've said that in my notes, New York's Pat Cummings was a very effective player on a given night, 
And then I've got this was one of them. <laughs> so obviously I didn't pay too much attention to the second quarter. And of course, we didn't see the first quarter. He hit a nice little driving score in the lane. He did a, a good job in this game. I do agree that he was an effective player. But as I mentioned before, I don't think I've seen a guy who's put up so many shots against double teams as what Pat Cummings did. And also, you don't really want to have a guy of Pat Cummings' size driving down the court with the ball in hand and actually not dishing off to any teammates. That's probably not in Hubie Brown's playbook. At times, you might like to say that that Pat didn't know if he was Cummings or Goings. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, beautiful, beautiful work. All right, now, with less than five minutes to go in the quarter, Quentin Daly got the steal, and then that triggered a Chicago fast break. Jordan was trailing in the middle of the floor. He caught the pass from Q and then skied for a great one-handed slam. The Bulls closed to within eight points, and that led to Hubie Brown calling a timeout, and the crowd loved every second of that play, even as they were New York Knicks fans for the most part. Quinn Daly showed really good patience on that Jordan dunk. He had a three-on-two and passed the ball to the fourth ball on the break, which gave Mike a soaring dunk past Pat Cummings. Now, Darrell Walker, on the back of a good scoring game he was having, he looked tuckered out, so Trent was subbed in. Courtesy of <laughs> courtesy of an Orlando Woolridge three-point play, which brought up his 25th point, the scores were tied for the first time since 4-all. The Bulls took an improbable 85-83 to 83 lead on an MJ tip-in, which gave him 24 points, off the Dave Corzine miss. And then I mentioned it a little bit earlier, Trent Tucker had an incredible... Finished to this third quarter. He had a mid-air catch and shoot off a deflected loose ball to end the quarter, but it was waved off. He hit the buzzer beater just after the buzzer, apparently, according to the refs, much to the disgust of Hubie Brown. And after three quarters, the Knicks held on to a three-point lead, 90-87. to Early in the fourth quarter, a somewhat surprising play by Quentin Daly, who had made a field goal to this point after a strong game the night before. He raised up for a jumper over two Nick defenders and then at the last minute dumped it off to MJ who streaked to the hoop for a lay and it was quite a nice play. MJ had Butch Carter on him on the wing on the next ball's offensive possession. He gave him the quick first step, blew by him on the baseline and gave Kavanaugh the sweet up and under to finish on the other side of the hoop. And Milo Hamilton gave us the... Holy Toledo, is he something to watch? <laughs> he also brought out another couple of Holy Toledos earlier in the third quarter too, I noticed as well. So, yeah, his voice was definitely on point when it came to some of those great calls of the game. Speaking of calls of the game, there were a stupid amount of whistles in this fourth quarter. Dave Corzine continued his dominant play in the paint in this fourth with multiple offensive boards. So the fact that he was playing at Madison Square Garden and not at Chicago Stadium was undoubtedly causing him to be much more effective. (laughs) With 4.25 remaining, Bernard put up a tough (laughs) five-on-one spinning fall away from about 15 feet, which unsurprisingly missed. One of the more extraordinary missed field goals I've ever seen. (laughs) Five-on-one, fair enough. (laughs) Two free throws by MJ gave him 38 points. The score went to 111 to 109 in favour of the Knicks on another causing offensive board and putback. The play of the game was undoubtedly from your new favourite, Pat Cummings, (laughs) 
his first pass of the game, which <laughs> almost took out the Gatorade water cooler as it sailed out of bounds. <laughs> I did see that at the time and thought that was quite a suspect dish off, but anyhow, these things happen, I suppose. But I don't think he's quite my favourite player. But <laughs> As I was watching that in my land room, I legitimately laughed out loud as the, <laughs> the ball went sailing out of bounds. His first pass of the game, and that was it. A crazy almost three-point play was made by MJ. He took a baseline, jumped, got fouled in the air as his momentum took him behind the backboard, and he almost scooped up a miracle shot to complete the opportunity. The two free throws gave him 40 on the night and it tied the game at 111. Late in the fourth, the refs missed two out-of-bounds calls, which actually evened out as one was for each of the teams. Even the grainy 30-year-old footage showed how blatant they were. The second of which was a, and I quote, Xavier McDaniel 1992 Eastern Conference semi-final like chase down, end quote, by MJ on Lewis Orr. The ball went off Orr's foot, but the refs missed the call. And that game you're talking about there, that has to be the feature of a future episode that we'll probably break down to within an inch of its life. Here's Jordan splitting through, Jordan with a steal, etc. <laughs> with 22 seconds left and the Knicks up by two, Bernard took Orlando baseline and dropped in a big basket to put them up by four. The Knicks held on to win the game, 119 to 113. The Bulls dropped to 17 and 17 on the season. For the Chicago Bulls, Jordan led everybody with 42 points, seven rebounds and four assists. A really incredible game yet again. Orlando Rourke had 27 points. Dave Corzine had a blinder, 20 points and 12 rebounds. Now for the Knicks, Bernard King had 34 points. Pat Cummings had 20 points, so did very well in the scoring column. Probably not in the passing column. And Daryl Walker had 16 points and 7 assists. It's an unconfirmed report that Pat Cummings had 20 points, 0 assists and 37 turnovers. (laughs) So that wraps up that particular contest, mate. Now let's get into the next 15-day block of the NBA's 39th season, as we tend to do on most of these NBA 85 episodes. And uh, something else that we tend to do is start with a a correction from some misinformation (laughs) from a previous episode, Adam. That is true. Now, thanks to faithful listener of the show, Rod Hess, who must be, for what it's worth, an all-time fan of the Portland Trailblazers. Check him out on Twitter at Rod Hess, H-E-S-S-24. Rod, quite rightly, he pointed out that we inaccurately said that in Paxson's stellar 1981 NBA season, he did not start a single game. I've since learnt that he started every game (laughs) that season, all 79. Our oversight was the fact that basketballreference.com appeared to have only included the game's started stat from 1982 onwards. And a personal high for yourself there, Adam? Myself and basketball reference going under the bus one after the other. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I said that Jim Paxson had not started any games in 1981, truth be told. NBA News Notes and Quotes January 24th through February 7th, 1985. On the 24th of January, the Tribune reported that MJ would be starting for the Eastern Conference All-Stars in the upcoming game in Indianapolis as the first rookie since Isaiah in 1982 to start in the game. The previous Bulls All-Star starters were Reggie Theus, 
and Artis Gilmore in 1981. Also on this same day, a severely depleted Washington team was forced to play six foot seven Greg Ballard at centre with Jeff Ruland, former podcast guest, Rick Mahorn and Cliff Robinson out injured. He responded in kind with a career-high 20 rebounds as the Bullets squeaked out a one-point home win over the visiting Dallas Mavericks. Those 20 rebounds were a sweet tune from Greg Ballard. (laughs) It's music to my ears, mate. And Jeff Ruland was a guest on episode 45 of the podcast. The ins and outs in the Chicago Tribune on the 25th of January asked, how hot is Michael Jordan? Dallas TV anchor Dale Hansen had started a countdown until the Bulls visited Dallas on March 23rd. His countdown became so popular that wherever he walked, Hansen was asked by people, how many days? That's a fantastic little tidbit there. So he started a good two months out from when Jordan would visit Reunion Arena. There you go. Yes. On the 25th, Chicago defeated Seattle. 93 to 76 in the confines of Chicago Stadium. 17,032 people were on hand. The Bulls went above 500. They went up to 22 and 21. Seattle's first quarter, they scored 30 points. And in the second and third quarter, they had 30 points combined. In contrast, Seattle came to Chicago on the back of defeating the Celtics at Boston in their previous game. Now, for the Bulls, Jordan had 22 points and 8 assists. Steve Johnson had 14 points and 11 rebounds, and Dave Corzine had 14 points. For Seattle, Jack Sigmar had 16 points and 16 rebounds. Tom Chambers, 15 points. And Tim McCormick, who was pick number 12 in the 84 NBA draft, had 14 points of his own. MJ sprained an ankle midway through the third quarter of this game, but still had 22 points and 8 assists. Coach Kevin Lockery said it's his policy to let the player determine if they're okay to play after injuring themselves, a policy fraught with danger, if you ask me. Even on one ankle, the Supersonics dogged every step that MJ took during this game. Gerald Henderson, who stole the ball, (laughs) said that Al Wood did a great job on him. He didn't run wild on us like last time. So (laughs) did he say that Al Wood? Do a good job on him, or Al Wood did a good job on him? Al did. Oh, okay. Steve Johnson had 14 points in the first half, and Quinton Daly hit six jumpers in the second term during a Bulls 11-2 run. It was interesting that Q went 6 for 14 from the field on the game, meaning that outside of this spurt of six straight jumpers, he went over 8. <laughs> a key for the Bulls was stopping the ivory towers of Sigmar and Chambers, and they would have come away satisfied with Jack Sigmar's 16 points and Tom Chambers' 15 points, all of which were scored in the first half. Also on the same day, in San Antonio's 122-107 to win at Houston, the Iceman George Gervin tied his then-season high with 42 points. Ice's season high would follow just five days later, and we'll cover that shortly. On the 26th of January, Chicago defeated Atlanta 117-104 to at Chicago Stadium in front of 10,459 fans. The Bulls moved to 23-21 and on the season. MJ had an absolutely stellar performance, 45 points, 8 rebounds, 10 assists and 4 blocks. Just insane numbers. Orlando Woolridge had 22 points and Steve Johnson had a, a great game too, 17 points and 13 rebounds. For Atlanta, Dominique had 30 points and Kevin Willis, the rookie... 
had 24 points. That was his season high for 85. Cliff Young, and not to be confused with the Australian marathon runner of the same name, had 14 points and 12 rebounds. I've immediately got a mental image of Cliff Young for the Hawks. Gumboots. Running up court and cutting gumboots. The Bulls broke a team record in the first term in shooting 84% from the field as they broke out to a 36-25 to lead after one. They had a 20-point lead at one point and led by double digits for most of the game. They even won a second-quarter fight between Sydney Green and Scott Hastings that got them both ejected from the game. That's nice. MJ had his 45-point night out on the ankle that he sprained the previous night against Seattle and amazingly hit his first nine shots of the game. On this same day as well, Bill Lambeer dropped 35 points. We had a discussion just a few days ago about the pronunciation of Bill Lambeer's name, and you've gone and mispronounced it. I have too. That's right. I forgot all about that. (laughs) Because of the fact his nickname was Lamb, apparently it's meant to be Lambeer. I'm completely thrown because I think for all of time I've called him Lambeer. Yeah, same. I'll try and make it Lambeer from now on. So on January 26, Bill Lambeer dropped 35 points. Nailed it. As Detroit won their seventh in a row, defeating Seattle 132-113. to Milwaukee also won their seventh straight in a 105-102 win at Houston. Terry Cummings had 28 points. Tom McMillan of Washington, the NBA's all-time would-be politician lookalike, scored a career-high 37 points in the Bullets' 110-105 overtime win versus Phoenix. His previous high was 31 points in December 1976. More than nine years later, in his second-last NBA season, he dropped a casual 37 of the best. Extraordinary. Sorry, I'm absolutely speechless as <laughs> what politician did he look like? No, no, he's just a, a would-be politician lookalike. When you see his picture, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So he looked right at home in a suit at the White House. Oh, definitely. On the 27th, Bob Sakamoto spoke of Jordan issuing a challenge to the Bulls' big men. He said he would become the team's leading rebounder unless the Bulls' bigs wanted to keep some measure of respectability. Jordan said that with the amount of time that they spend inside, they shouldn't be getting out-rebounded by a guard, which actually a very good point. This is one of the first instances I've read of MJ challenging his teammates like this. Pleased to hear that, and of course he's throwing down the gauntlet in just his rookie season. Steve Johnson said that MJ may be Superman, but he can't lead them in every category and made a personal resolution to go to the boards with more regularity. Apparently, Steve, he could. The following stuff that I'm about to talk about is fantastic. I was really pleased to come across this in our research. On January 27, Larry Bird had 48 points, including a tremendous buzzer beater in Boston's 128-127 to win against the Portland Trailblazers. Drexler looked to seal the win with three seconds left in the fourth when he hit the go-ahead bucket from 17 feet. Courtesy of Celtics TV's Mike Gorman, here's how the game ended. DJ again to make the inbound pass. The double team in Bird. Larry, fake, fall away. Hits it! The buzzer! All right! Unbelievable! Final score here at the Garden, Boston 128, Portland 127. (laughs) Perhaps the best part of this whole sequence is the fact that the buzzer beater enabled Boston coach Casey Jones 
to lead the 85 Eastern Conference All-Stars. The win gave his Celtics a half-game lead over the 76ers, which is incredible. What a shot, what a game, and what a call by Mike Gorman. We should do a a favourite commentator podcast someday. Good idea. On the 28th of January, Mark Aguirre scored a then-career high of 49 points. Earlier that same day, he was left off the Western Conference All-Star squad. Coincidence? I think not. His Mavs won 111-109 to at home against the Philadelphia 76ers. It was only the ninth loss for the 76ers. Aguirre shot 17 of 25 from the field and missed six free throws. Otherwise, would have given him his 50-point game. Yeah, pretty good chance. He was a bit aggro about missing out on the All-Star game, you would have thought. Mm-hmm. In the Daily Herald, Quinton Daly had taken shots at the Bulls coaching staff for their preferential treatment of Michael Jordan and Orlando Woolridge and their poorer treatment of him. He claimed the coaching staff blamed him and his poor shot selection for an early season loss to Milwaukee, to which he responded, did these guys think I didn't have a TV set as a kid? (laughs) They, in reference to Bulls assistant coach Carter and head coach Kevin Lockery, were two of the worst shot selection people to ever put on a uniform. (laughs) That's crazy. In protest, he then decided to skip the following home game. He said that he sat at home all night, turned off his answering machine, and watched TV. (laughs) The following day, he had a meeting with Rod Thorne, who, according to Quinton Daly, told him that no other team would touch him because he was a troublemaker. Q said that he knew Thorne wouldn't get rid of him because of the gamble that Thorne took in getting him to the Bulls. And if you kicked him off the team, it also means that Thorne had screwed up. <laughs> I mean, he's almost justifying his own behaviour based on the fact that if Thorne's getting rid of him, it then shows Thorne to be yeah, a bad decision maker. That's fantastic stuff. He did admit that he was to blame for other instances of being late to practice and missing a flight to Indianapolis. He also spoke about his own need to shine and the troubles he had with Michael Jordan's rising star and the focus that had been taken away from him. Kevin Lockery said that Daly's constant missing of practices is the biggest disruption to the team and that the $250 maximum fines don't do anything to change the pattern with the salaries that players make. The article detailed Daly's personal problems with losing both of his parents within a month of each other seven years prior and the incident at the University of San Francisco when he pleaded guilty to aggravated assault of a student nurse. The ensuing picket outside of Chicago Stadium when Daly joined the Bulls is something that Sam Smith spoke about in Episode 7. Two players that were on that 1985 Chicago team that were loaded with talent but also, unfortunately, loaded with issues were Quinton Daly and Orlando Woolridge. Was it outwardly apparent that those two guys were having the issues that they were off the court? Um, it wasn't initially. I mean, Daly, we suspected that when he came because, you know, he had to get into the draft, he had to agree to plead on a uh, assault charge uh, on a student nurse. So um, without narrowing it down, I believe he was the only player in NBA history who was picketed on opening day by the National Organization for Women. Mm. Uh, <laughs> we wondered about him. 
That article was the preface to Chicago's defeat of Kansas City. The Bulls were 103-97 to victors at Chicago Stadium in front of an incredible crowd of 7,216. The Bulls were 24-21. and That was four straight wins and their eighth straight home victory. Former Bull, Reggie Theus, in his previous three games, was averaging 20 points, 7.7 assists and five rebounds a game. For Chicago... MJ had 26 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists and 3 steals. And Steve Johnson ably assisted with 13 points and 9 rebounds. For Kansas City, Eddie Johnson, former podcast guest, had 26 points, 4 rebounds and 4 assists, episode 41. And Reggie Theus had 15 points, 6 rebounds and a very impressive 11 assists. During this game, all eyes, all microphones and all television cameras were on Quentin Daly went the accompanying article, not exactly Quinton's kind of theatre, after his comments criticising the Bulls coaching staff earlier in the week. The fact it was the Bulls' fourth straight victory was undoubtedly overshadowed by the goings-on in the papers. Jordan went to his teammates' defence in the article saying that he didn't say that Q had said anything wrong about him. He had just used him as an example. MJ said he hadn't seen how the coaches had treated Q the year before, so he must be seeing something that Jordan can't and that people need to stop throwing Q's past back in his face. MJ's locker was next to Daly's in the Bulls locker room and said Q had been a good friend to him thus far. In the game, Orlando only played 26 minutes due to back spasms and only scored 10 points in this one. It was down the stretch that the bomb squad came to the fore and with a key in the fourth quarter. After the game, I guess there would have been quite a queue at Daly's locker. Um, (laughs) (laughs) On the same day, more heroics from Larry Bird. His layup at the buzzer gave him back-to-back game winners as the Boston Celtics defeated the Detroit Pistons 131-130 to at Hartford, Connecticut. Larry had 32 points and simultaneously ended Detroit's eight-game win streak. Pretty impressive effort there from Larry. Was that that game winner when Larry went baseline and threw up the runner, which went around the rim a few times before dropping down? I know the shot you're referring to. Just don't know if it was against the Pistons or not. Yeah, that game was in Hartford, so I reckon that might have been the one. Excellent call. Also this same day, Dominique Wilkins dropped 40 points at New Orleans, the Home Away From Home series, in Atlanta's 115-106 to victory over the Indiana Pacers. At San Antonio, George the Iceman Gervin went for a season-high 47 points as the Spurs held on to win 130-127 to 127 over the New Jersey Nets. For the Nets, Michael Ray Richardson had 26 points, Albert King 24 and Otis Birdsong 22. On January the 30th, Washington defeated Chicago 106-95 at the Capitol Center in Maryland in front of a bumper crowd 18,484 the Bulls dropped to 24-22. and 22. It was the team's first matchup since their season opener, which was MJ's rookie debut. We chatted about that at length in episode 6 of this series. Now, the Tribune had a fantastic article about this game, a recap titled Bullets Shatter Bulls Streak, worthy of a mention just for that headline alone. It also marked Chicago's seventh straight road loss. For the Bulls, Jordan had another great game, 38 points, 7 rebounds, 8 assists and 4 steals. Quentin Daly had 20 points and Steve Johnson 17. For Washington, Gus Williams had 29 points. Greg the Musician Ballard had 19 points and 9 rebounds. I actually prefer, sing us a song, Greg Ballard. <laughs> okay, 
Greg singers a song ballad had 19 points and 9 rebounds. Jeff Malone had 18 points. And Tom, the politician, McMillan, had 10 points and 9 <laughs> rebounds. Jeff Ruland, episode 45 of the In All Anders podcast, did not play. The Bulls were doing a great job compensating for the absence of Orlando Woolridge in this game before 10 straight points by Washington in the middle of the last quarter. Chicago led after every change before the run by the Washington Bullets. Jordan and Steve Johnson pointed the finger at the Bulls tightening up on the offensive end down the stretch, resulting to too many jump shots. Jordan had 24 and 6 assists in the first half, giving the Capital Senate crowd a good show with an array of dunks. In the second half, the Washington Bullets doubled MJ, which resulted in Q's 20 points on a 9 for 14 shooting. Nice work. The same day, Philadelphia were 122-104 to 104 home winners over Boston. Moses Malone exploded for 38 points and 24 rebounds. Every time you say someone <laughs> explodes, I immediately have a mental image of, of Moses on this occasion just blowing into pieces. Bird, after back-to-back buzzer beaters the previous two games, had his wings clipped, scoring just 16 points. The 76ers' victory... <laughs> Even the season series at two apiece. Also, Phoenix were 110 to 93 winners against the New York Knicks. Larry Nance had 21 points, and the Suns ended a six game losing skid in the process. On January the 31st, in Denver, future Hall of Famer Alex English dropped 40 points on the Dallas Mavericks in his team's 121 to 110 victory. Have a listen to this for a stat line from Fat Lever. 15 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists, 5 steals, and 2 blocks. That is ridiculous. In fact, I might call Fat Lever the stat. Fat the stat lever from now on. Or just stat lever. Yeah. Portland were 129 to 109 winners against Golden State. It was the Warriors' 16th straight loss. They dropped to 10 and 35. The article referred to the Patrick Ewing Derby. No surprises, really, because teams were competing, I guess, to try and land Ewing in the forthcoming NBA draft lottery. For Golden State Warriors, Purvis Short had 32 points, and for Portland, Kiki Vandeweghe had 32 as well, Drexler 28, and Michael Thompson 23. Let's get into February, mate. On the 1st of February, Philadelphia defeated the Bulls 121-110 to at the Spectrum in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in front of 17,921 fans. The Bulls... Dropped to 24 and 23. We'll have an in-depth breakdown of this game to follow in a future NB85 episode. Heading into this game, an ominous sign. Philadelphia were 27 and 1 when leading after three quarters. The Bulls had five players in double figures, which was great. However, 76 has topped that with seven players of their own scoring 10 or more points. The Tribune wrote that not even teamwork was enough in this one. As you mentioned before, five Bulls scored in double figures. Down by 15, with nine minutes remaining, the Bulls went on a run to bring the lead down to three, with 3.48 left on the clock. The Bulls had lost their last eight games on the road, dating back to the double overtime win against Atlanta on December 20. After scoring 14 and 16 points, respectively, in his first two games against the 76ers, Jordan was made to work pretty hard for his 31. Yep, he had 31 points, along with six rebounds and five assists. Sidney Green had a great game. It was his best game as a pro in his second season, 16 points and 14 rebounds. For Philadelphia, Moses had 23 points, Dr. J, 19, Mo Cheeks had 16, and Sir Charles 
15 points and 11 rebounds. Also on the same day, Milwaukee won their 10th straight game in a 109-91 victory at Seattle. The Bucks were led by Terry Cummings' 32 points. Sidney Moncrief had a triple-double, 21 points, 11 rebounds and 11 assists. And for Seattle, the ivory towers of Tom Chambers and Jack Sigma had 22 points and 10 points respectively. Future bull Craig Hodges dropped 18 points for the Bucks. Bernard King of the Knicks returned from an eight-game absence as well due to a sprained ankle, and he scored 23 points in New York's one-point loss, 105-104, to 104, at LA. The Knicks dropped to a woeful 2-21 and 21 on the road for the season. It was their 14th straight road loss. Fair to say that Hubie Brown would have been under the pump. A record of 2-21 and 21 on the road immediately makes me think of the nickname that the Sacramento Kings were given during the 91-92 season. They were so bad on the road that they were actually called the Sacrificial Kings. <laughs> I like that. Who dubbed them that, do you know? Wouldn't be surprised if it was Peter Vesey. Somebody on an episode of NBA Action, I remember it. Oh, that's great. Same day, Boston were 142-123 to 123 winners in a blowout win at home over the Kansas City Kings. Larry Bird went for 38 and Ainge, Danny Ainge had a then-career high of 26. The Celtics had 78 first-half points. For the Kings, Eddie Johnson, podcast guest in episode 41, had 27 points. It was KC Jones' 100th victory as coach of Boston and that was in less than two seasons at the helm. Utah were 121-109 to 109 winners at Dallas. The Jazz's Mark Eaton, episode 49, <laughs> set a reunion arena record with 10 blocks, six in the third quarter alone. Daryl Dr. Duncanstein Griffith had 30 points for Utah in the absence of leading scorer Adrian Dantley, who interestingly was benched for missing two days of practice without giving any reason to coach Frank Layden. Mark Aguirre had 38 points, and the Mavs committed just four turnovers, which was then an equal league record. It's quite humorous to hear that Frank Layden was laying down disciplinary action, pretty rich from a guy who once ate a hot dog and a beer on the bench <laughs> as coach of the Utah Jazz. Uh, not to mention, in a previous episode of this show, we talked about Frank Layden congratulating the Lakers bench and Pat Riley, then walking off the, off the court back to the locker room before the game ended for no reason. Anyhow, on February the 2nd, Houston won 131-128 to 128 in double overtime at home against the Denver Nuggets. The Twin Towers stood tall. Ralph Sampson had 37 points and Elijah won 26. The loss ended the Nuggets' eight-game win streak. On the 3rd of February, Walter Davis of Phoenix played in his first game of the season. He missed the first 47 games due to an injury suffered in an October 9 84 exhibition game. We mentioned that in a previous episode of the series. He scored 11 points in Phoenix's 120-109 to home win over the Sonics. On the 4th of February, Michael Jordan was named Rookie of the Month for a second time. In January, he averaged 30.5 points, 7.7 rebounds, 6.6 assists on 57% field goal shooting. 30.7 rebounds and 6 assists on 57% field goal shooting. Almost NBA player of the month numbers, you would have thought. Oh, definitely. Lambier had 32 points and 17 rebounds as Detroit snapped Milwaukee's 11-game winning tear, 113-111 to in an overtime win at Milwaukee. Also on the same date, Julius Irving had 23 points and moved into fourth all-time on the NBA-ABA scoring list in Philadelphia's 14-point win over Atlanta. He surpassed Dan Issel, who would retire at the end of this 85 season. The only players ahead of 
Dr J at that time were Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Wilt Chamberlain and the Big E, Alvin Hayes. An article headline, try and say this 10 times quickly, Bulls lips zipped when Celtics visit. <laughs> the article said, as of today, only 2,000 tickets remain for the Bulls matchup against Boston. Later that day, Boston defeated Chicago, 110-106 at Chicago Stadium. In front of 18,061 fans, the Bulls went back to an even 524-24. Warridge returned after missing two games with back spasms. The Boston Celtics starters entered the game, all averaging double figures. Very impressive. First Chicago, Jordan had another incredible game. 41 points, 12 rebounds, 7 assists and 4 steals. Orlando Woolrich had 19 points, Quinton Daly 18, Dave Corzine had 12 points and 6 rebounds. And for the Celtics, Kevin McHale had 29 points, Larry had 27, Danny Ainge 19, DJ 15 and Robert the Chief Parish had 14 points. Bob Sakamoto said Jordan made some shots that nature doesn't normally allow, including a dunk so ferocious that Larry Bird had to cover his head. (laughs) Uh, With all of his big shots down the stretch, which included 11 points late in the fourth quarter by MJ, he actually airballed a potential go-ahead jumper. MJ said after the game he should have faked and driven to the hole, but you can't go back and change it now. He also thought Coach Lockery didn't need to call the preceding timeout, which gave the Celtics a chance to set their D. Kevin McHale scored 12 points in the last six minutes, finishing with 29 on the game. Casey Jones said afterwards, all I can think of is that quote, Air Jordan. He was utterly awesome. From the odds and ends on that day in the Chicago Tribune, the NBA's Board of Governors was expected to meet on the Friday before the upcoming All-Star Weekend to okay the sale of the Bulls to Jerry Reinsdorf. I wonder if the sellers had any second thoughts with the way that MJ had started off that season, Adam. Yeah, you would think they'd have reservations. Yeah, strange. At Houston on the same day, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar went for 40 points as the Lakers outlasted the Rockets' Ralph Sampson, who had 33 and 15, and Akeem Olajuwon with 30 and 13. In a 113-104 to win, Kareem was quoted as saying, tonight felt like the 70s again. Now, I thought that was pretty cool. This is great. Have a listen to this. Atlanta play without three of its guards and were forced to activate one of its TV commentators. <laughs> Five foot eight, Charlie Chris, who is a career 8.5 points and 3.2 assists. In 29 minutes, Chris had 11 assists and six rebounds. It was the first of four straight games that Charlie played with Atlanta. Was Chris Cross when he resumed his commentary role? We can't be sure. For what it's worth, their opponents, Dallas, won the game. 112-103. to 103. 11 assists and 6 rebounds from a TV commentator. <laughs> That'll make you jump. <laughs> I actually thought you missed my Chris Cross comment. And for the life of me, I couldn't have planned that any better. That is wonderful work. When I read it, I had to do a double take because this would very rarely have happened in the history of the game. I know there's instances of assistant coaches, and for one, I can think of Mike Dunleavy, who yeah. came out of retirement effectively to play for the Bucks during a, a rough trot with injuries. But to see a TV commentator unretire to play four-game stretch, fantastic. Paul Pressey did the same thing as well for the Golden State Warriors. He did. That was very impressive. But yeah, he did. Um, that pun was appalling. <laughs> On February the 7th, Cleveland defeated Chicago 108-99 to at Richfield Coliseum. 
in front of a sensational crowd of 9,113 people. The Bulls dropped to 24 and 25. In episode 12 of this series, I said, in reference to the Cavaliers, they were off to an absolutely shocking start at 2 and 17. Their fortunes had turned around more recently, and prior to this game, the Cavs had split their previous 26. They were 16 and 33 after this much needed win. Lockery pulled the ball starters from the game with just under six minutes left in the third quarter, reminiscent of a similar ploy he tried earlier in the season in a game at Golden State. The Bulls had been outscored 19-4, to including 13 consecutive Cleveland points. In disgust, Lockery subbed his starters out. Chicago were led by Jordan with 23 points. He also had four rebounds and seven assists, along with seven turnovers. Orlando had 20 points and 11 rebounds. Q went for 19, Rod Higgins had 14, and Dave Corzine had 12 points. For Cleveland, World B Free had 29 points and 8 assists. John Bagley had 13 points, 13 assists, and 7 rebounds, if you don't mind. And Ben Poquette, 2 points, but a very nice 16 rebound performance. For the Bulls, this was their last game before the All-Star break. A perfect storm of sorts. It was their fourth straight loss, their ninth in a row on the road, and they dropped below 500. What was a terrible entry into the team's All-Star break is perfect timing for us, Aaron. The 1985 All-Star game will be the feature of a special podcast episode in the not-too-distant future. Despite the stinky performance from the Bulls, (laughs) there was an article in the Chicago Tribune titled Bird is Sold on Jordan and NBA's Future. The day of the game, an article covering Larry Bird's thoughts on the future of the NBA had him heaping praise on Michael Jordan. He'd said he'd never seen one player turn around a team like that as he sat after playing 42 minutes against the Bulls with a towel over his legs and a beer in his hand. (laughs) It contrasts a little bit to the 2015 way that players deal with things after a game. Slightly. Mm. Bird continued with best. Never seen anyone like him. Unlike anyone I've ever seen. Phenomenal. One of a kind. (laughs) He was asked. Better than Larry Bird? Yep. At this stage of his career, he's doing more than I ever did. That is very glowing praise from Larry Legend. From a guy who, in these articles that I've read for the research, has been mentioned several times as the greatest player in the world. Exactly. I was going to say the same thing. Given he was on a stretch of three consecutive MVP performances over the regular season, quite extraordinary indeed. We'll actually include this article in the blog post to this episode, mate, which can be found at inallairness.com slash nb85-17. Also on this day, Washington had a two-overtime home win against Detroit, 128-126. to Frank Johnson of the Washington Bullets had a four-point play. One of your favourite players, mate? Frankie Airball Johnson. <laughs> he had a four-point play, which was quite rare. Wow. Particularly in that era of hoops, and that shut down the Pistons once and for all, and Washington had that two-point win. Isaiah Thomas suffered a cut lip and a loose tooth, courtesy of future teammate Rick Mahorn. Zeke had 23 points and a then-career-high 24 assists and 10 rebounds, so that is very much worthy of my first phenomenal call of the episode. Jeff Malone led Washington with 30 points of his own. Well, it wouldn't have been 30 points from anybody else, would it? And Jeff Malone, one of the more underrated players in the NBA in this era too. He was fantastic. He was, and he has one of the greatest buzzer beaters of all time too. When he beat the aforementioned Detroit Pistons with a crazy corner three as he ran out of bounds in the NBA Awesome Endings VHS, I'm sure you'll agree. Agreed. Um, 
Houston were 112-105 to 105 winners at home against the Golden State Warriors. Ralph Sampson had 42 points, 31 of them in the second half. And to close out our recap for this period of time, on the road, the Atlanta Hawks fought back from a 71-48 to 48 third quarter deficit to defeat Milwaukee 94-91. to 91. Dominique led the Hawks with 22 points. The players of the week in the NBA for this time period, the week of January 27, the politician Tom McMillan from Washington <laughs> averaged 22.4 points, including his 37-point outburst against the Phoenix Suns. The Bullets went 4-1 and one during this week. And the week of February 3, Dominique was the player of the week, 37 points per game, including a 40-point outing against the Indiana Pacers. Terry Cummings was the player of the month for January, 24.8 points, including a 10-3 and three record for the Bucks. In terms of our individual highs, mate, Mark Aguirre went for 49 against the Philadelphia 76ers on the 28th of January. Moses Malone had 24 rebounds in Philadelphia's game against the Boston Celtics on January the 30th. And just a moment ago, I talked about Isaiah Thomas having 24 assists against the Washington Bullets on the 7th of February. Now, the NBA standings through February 7 were as follows. The division leaders in the Atlantic, the Celtics were 41-9. and In the Central, the Bucks were 34-17. and In the Midwest, the Nuggets were 31-20. and in the Pacific, the Lakers were 35 and 16. The Bulls were tracking along at 24 and 25, and they went 3 and 4 in this period of time. And the Golden State Warriors were struggling mightily at 11 and 38. They went 1 and 7 over the couple of weeks we're chatting about. All right, Aaron, that brings us to an end for episode 17 of this series. Anything you'd like to add, mate, before we do finish this episode? Thanks again for being part of the show, as always. This podcast series is turning into a bit of a, a nickname fest and I'm looking forward to the first player I can nickname Giddy Up. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and share my web address with your friends and colleagues in allairness.com. Check out the podcast archive for plenty more episodes with high-profile guests. Follow me on Twitter at inallairness. Please add your like to the show's social hub, facebook.com slash inallairness. Join me next time for another edition of the show.